0: Minus three, two, one. Fasten your seatbelt. Yeah, and get ready for the ride of your life. Almost done, ladies. If there's anything you need, just let me uh, know. No. Be careful, that's Jack's girlfriend. Surfer. Sure are popular. A little too popular. Leave gravity behind. And get airborne. Rated PG. Start Friday, September
1: 17th. Everybody, welcome back to the latest episode of Real Early. I'm Larry Sternshine. On today's show, I'll be talking the 1993 teen action comedy Airborne with Mike Scott from Action for Everyone. Uh, Mike, how you doing, buddy?
0: Hi, Larry. How are you, buddy? Good to ah. good to see you. It's, <laughs> last time we did this, we 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 talked uh, a little bit about uh, you know your kind of old format, but it's good to see you, man. I'm always happy to talk to you and always happy to hear your voice
1: yeah it's great great to have you on and i'm I'm glad that I decided to give myself the leeway to have people back on uh which you know having you back on and then next week I'm gonna to talk to somebody who hasn't been on before and we're gonna talk go like the old school way so it's it's very exciting to uh to have you here uh so since i since I got you and you are from action for everyone and you are very knowledgeable at action movies. And this week, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one comes out, which marks the second half of 2023. So I just thought we'd do a quick little first half of 2023, because this will drop this week. How do you feel about the first half of this year as far as action? Because I feel like this is one of the strongest 6 months periods we've had in a while, and I'm curious to see if you feel the same. Well, it's it's a little... It's, it's a little
0: bit tough. I mean, certainly from a Hollywood standpoint, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, we got John Wick 4 this year. Like, like any year in which we get John Wick 4 is going to be an all-time great year. I do feel a little bit like my beloved DTV has been letting me down a little bit. But on the flip side, I think Hollywood's been... Stepping up, I thought, I mean, obviously, I think John McFour is brilliant. I thought Dungeons and Dragons had some actually really terrific action scenes in it. Uh, I thought uh, that technically, I guess they could be like bridging the gap between DTV and mainstream both the covenant and Kandahar were terrific. So yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not complaining about this year. I'm, I'm complaining a little bit just because other than John four, I haven't had a Scott Adkins movie so far this year and I'm used to three to four of those a year. But, uh, but uh, you know, uh, other than that, no, I think, I think it's been a really solid year and it's been a really solid year for, for lack of a better term, not, marvel style action like it's been a solid even indiana jones and the dial of destiny had i think some pretty solid like action action not superhero action um and so i think starting really with avatar we've had some real solid action big budget hollywood action movies for the last six months
1: yeah i i agree as far as the theatrical experience uh for example, too, it's been a great year, I think, for other industries because Pathan was this year, and that is that is by far my favorite movie this year. Like I'm new to the Indian cinema, so it's probably because a lot of it being very new to me but like there was just something that jazzed me about this one that i've seen it twice already this year it's not because it's new to you though and like
0: yes it may be like new to you but that movie fucking rules so like it's It's not just because it's new to you like that movie is amazing that movie is absolutely stunning and uh you know and even like normally i complain about Netflix. But Extraction 2 was unreal, like just absolutely unreal. So, yeah, definitely, you know, different industries. We've got um, Bloodhounds, the Korean uh, TV show. We've got the third Roundup movie. Like, yeah, no, we're not we're not hurting. Like action fans are not
1: hurting in 2023. What is it, though, about the DTV industry that hasn't quite felt like it's had a moment this year is it just because there's so many streaming services now it's kind of hard to keep track of what's new because like chad law i think has had like three movies out and like one was on tubi but like you wouldn't know that unless you're following him or anything it just feels different my my theory this
0: is just my theory my theory is is that the dtv is finally getting the the COVID stop is finally catching up to DTV. And so what we've got, because, you know, for instance, I know my boy, Scott Adkins, he's got lights out coming out. He's got one more shot coming out. He just started filming, take cover, you know, so there are these DTV movies out there, but they're not coming out right now. I just feel like we're, and I think maybe part of that is actually a little bit of the John Wick effect, because, God love Chad. He cast so many DTV stars and stunt people in that movie that I feel like it created sort of this gap where nobody was actually making DTV action movies because they were all working on John Wick 4. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I'm expecting the last half of the year is going to be a whole lot more DTV action packed. Uh, but I just think we've we've just hit a random gap. And that happens, frankly, sometimes with DTV. I mean, there's just times where it just isn't that. There's just not stuff coming out. Um,
1: and it is what it is. I do know that William Kaufman has like three movies out in like the span of like two months, which is crazy. Exactly. That is a
0: perfect example. And I know at least one of them, the one that he did with Johnny Strong. I mean, that movie's been done for work over a year you know and so so much of it is this these weird flukes of distribution and how all of this stuff with these producers and weird distribution companies and I know there's some companies that could typically be I I don't want to go into too many details but I know there's some companies that could typically be relied on to release dtv action movies that are having some serious financial problems and so that's holding some stuff up because yeah there's no reason will should be having like three movies coming out within like the next like two or three months right those should have been coming out every six months it's just the nature of the business
1: now relatedly to the movie we're going to talk about i just thought i was wondering just now is is there anything out there that that's kind of action or maybe sports action that teens could get into uh because it feels like the teen movie seems to focus more on i don't even know what they focus on nowadays (laughs) i'm like what i don't even know what teen movies are out there but it just it feels like there there's a lack of more uh action-y type stuff for the for teenagers trying to look something up and then uh unfortunately
0: my zoom window disappeared. So but uh yes no. I I agree with you. Uh I mean I think so many teens their action stuff is TikTok or even YouTube. You know stuff like channels like people are awesome. Like going to, you know, not to jump ahead but like the movie we're talking about today you couldn't see Chris Edwards doing rollerblade stunts just anywhere in 1993. You know, you basically had uh, Utah's own Warren Miller and some other people putting out documentaries or or like clip videos. But you didn't have YouTube, you didn't have TikTok, and now it's like if you want to see extreme sports, why are you going to watch a movie about extreme sports? You can just go on TikTok and watch some guy throw himself off the side of a mountain, uh, you know, in a way that we never could have even conceived of in 1993.
1: That is a good point. I, I always forget about social media and how big of a role it has with younger people. I mean, I'm on social media a lot, but they're probably on it like way more than I am. And I run across all sorts of uh, crazy stuff. And that's probably why I don't really see too many like, You know, this is, we're going to introduce this extreme sport make a movie around it. Well, and
0: this is the thing with you and I being old. I mean, we're both terminally online, right? But on the flip side, we're terminally online Twitter. We're on a website that's dying. Like a 16 year old is on not even TikTok. You know, they're probably on some fucking website that like you and I have never even heard of at this point is there's probably something called like gloop vid or something like that that they're spending all their time on uh you know and so it is one of those things where it's like yeah you and I are both pretty online but we're still behind it like I always feel I I vowed when I was a kid I was never going to be like my parents I was never going to be out of touch and I still I try to hold true to that but I am constantly feeling like I am still behind the curve (laughs) you know it's like By the time I figure out a meme is funny, uh, the sixteen-year-olds have like moved past it, right? Like that meme, like like I'm like the boomers have found the meme. By the time I have figured out it's funny,
1: it it doesn't help. With neither one of us have have kids either, so like I know I have friends who have kids, and they kind of know more that's going on than I do. But even then, they're still like I don't I don't get it. But (laughs) that's that's life. Parents are. Now, older people are just—they're yeah, always no, going to have that
0: thing. One hundred percent, not having kids definitely is a big <laughs> is a big impact. You know, and again, that's a that's a trade to quote equilibrium. I will pay it gladly. That is a trade I will pay <laughs> gladly, but uh, nonetheless, yeah.
1: yeah. All right, so let's just move on to uh, Airborne. It's a nineteen ninety three movie uh, starring Shane McDermott, uh, directed by Rob Bowman. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Uh, Shane McDermott plays Mitchell Goosen. He's a surfer that has to move to Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, because his parents are going to Australia to do some science stuff. And uh, obviously, it's a fish out of water story, but it's also a sports, extreme sports movie uh, as well. So when was the first time that you saw Airborne?
0: So I did not see Airborne in the theater, but the reason this is the movie that I wanted to talk about is because I graduated high school in 1994, started college, you know, so I graduated in June of 94, started college in September of 94. Cause again, I'm old. And that was the exact time that airborne hit the Disney channel. And for those who don't, you know, youngins, the Disney Channel had a tendency to run the same movie at the same time every day. And that summer, at approximately somewhere between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., they would run Airborne. And I literally watched Airborne every single day that fucking summer and that was you know the first time i watched it was maybe a couple months before that i'm i am i am certain i rented it i'm certain i rented it when it came out on because i i grew up a rad and thrashing fan so the idea that there's this new version with rollerblades i needed to see that movie uh, so whatever it came out on VHS, I would have rented it, you know, so probably January, February 94, whatever it may be. Uh, and I remember, you know, thinking it was fine, but it was really that summer just watching it over and over and over and over again that it worked its way into my brain and has now worked its way into my DNA to where that movie's like literally a part of me.
1: That is the thing that's different now, I think, when we were growing up. We had cable and TV, and we would be able to see the same thing over and over again because we didn't really have, like, the computer. Or if we did, we didn't have, like, obviously, like, YouTube and stuff. So, like, you know, you'd sit around. They would just show the same movie. Like, that's why, you know, I am fascinated by how people become big movie fans when they're younger now just because they don't see a constant – stream of movies all over and over again and i think that's you know kind of interesting to to wonder if there's like movies like we had like this one you'd watch all the time on disney channel like you don't really have that much anymore well and i mean it's fucking airborne like what kind
0: of lunatic in 2023 would watch airborne 60 times over the space of two and a half months you know there's too much content out there now you'd never think about that but in 93 i'm like eh, it's 3 30 in the afternoon i ain't fucking i'm 18 years old without a job i ain't fucking doing anything else i'm gonna watch airborne you know i mean yeah. like it, it was just a it's just a very different time where it was like you know, I remember the first movie that I really watched over and over and over again was, you know, the first memory I've said this before, I probably even said it on Gear show the last time I was on that my earliest memory of movies is seeing a new hope at the drive-in. But one of my other earliest memories is when a new hope premiered on HBO. And I literally, you know, I would have probably been, I don't know, maybe it was 1982 or something like that. Um, I watched it every chance I could when it was on HBO because again we didn't have videos you couldn't you know VHS was around but if you wanted to buy a movie it was 120 bucks in 1982 dollars. So what you did was you watched and this was even you know before, recording movies off of cable became financially reasonable so you just watched it every chance you could get uh tron was another one that i just when that hit the disney channel i watched it every chance i could get and that same thing happened with airborne and i feel like airborne was like legitimately the last time that happened for me that that was the last time that i that cable and not being able to buy a movie and not being able to have ready access to it and just watching what was on at the time was a reality for me. Um, You know? And so again, yeah, I spent an entire summer watching it over and over again. And the beauty of that is I dissected the shit out of that movie and it's real good.
1: <laughs> were were you, Uh, At this point, you obviously like movies, but did you start kind of noticing how movies worked more around this time period? Is this kind of like when you just were like, man, I want to really get in there, learn about the craft a little bit more. I had actually already been there. I
0: had, you know, I mean, this was I had discovered John Woo and stuff like that. I, I really started like watching movies for craft. Right around the time I was in seventh grade. Uh, But even when I was a kid, I was the nerdy kid. Like, literally, I remember having an argument with one of my best friends in first grade because I was so pissed off. He didn't know that the actor that played Han Solo was named Harrison Ford. So, like, I I literally... (laughs) I should have been shoved in a locker at that point, but I've always been that guy, and so. But what I did start noticing, you know, and I I want to say it was probably around 1987 with Rad, to be honest with you, is what I really started noticing. Then and what Airborne also helped solidify along with the action angle of Jean Claude Van Damme and that stuff is the glorious beauty of stunt work, uh, you know, and that was always the thing. Like, I, I think Airborne has so many great qualities, but at the end of the day, if I wanted to sell somebody on Airborne that had never seen it, I'm going to sell it to them on the stunt work. The rollerblading, the stunts, the, the, the Chris Edwards just being an absolute lunatic. A- and that really, you know, to kind of go with what you were asking me, yes, that point point eighteen nineteen was when I really started thinking about not just the Van Dams, but the people that make Van Dam look good. And the people that make not just Bill, you know, realizing it's not Bill Allen flipping that bike in rad. And it's not Shane McDermott doing all those three sixties in airborne. It's, stunt people. And who are they? And why are like, why do we not talk about them more? They're really cool. And so I would say Airborne actually has a massive influence on who I am now as the guy on action for everyone that's interviewing people like Charlie Yoon and Kenji Donagaki. Because Airborne was really one of the first times where I was like, oh, stunts, stunts are a thing. like. Mitchell jumps over a car in this movie and that's not Shane McDermott. Like Shane McDermott was on fucking swans crossing. He ain't jumping over a car, you know? And so like, who is jumping over that car and how are they jumping over that car? How are we watching this car come over this hill in full speed? I mean, not, you know, quote unquote, full speed, but we're watching him jump over it without a visible ramp, without anything visibly catapulting him. How are we watching him do that? And thinking about also right around the same time as when Showdown in Little Tokyo came out and Dolph Lundgren jumps over a car. And how is this happening? So, yes, this is this early 90s period is really when I started thinking about action choreography, stunt choreography, stunt people the people behind the people uh and and i mean like airborne has i cannot deny airborne has a massive
1: massive part of that for me so let's let's talk a little bit about filming action uh because you you know a thing or two so one of the things that i never really thought about growing up and this is a really enough a newer thing for me is learning how important the second unit directors are um Cause they're usually, it seems like they're the ones that do a lot of like the action stuff a lot of times and are helping them with those sort of things. Um, am I, am I far off on that assessment of the second unit director? Cause like for this one, they point out Steve Boyum and the, is the very first end credit as the second unit director. So I assume, and he's one of the stunt guys. So I assume he had a big hand in that final scene. Um, but tell us a little bit about like kind of like behind the scenes of how that kind of real basic, how to stunt universe works.
0: Yeah. So the idea here is, you know, obviously movies are complicated. Uh, and so what would basically happen is you think even back to something like stagecoach, right? Uh, you got the whole action scene of John Wayne, the, the, the Indiana, the scene that influenced Indiana Jones, you got John Wayne, going under the horses, going under the stagecoach. Well, that's obviously not John Wayne and there's no dramatic hook to it. So why is John Ford going to spend his time shooting that? You're going to bring in stunt people and people who know how to shoot stunts to shoot that. And I, people listening, look, I have no idea. I've not researched the filming of stagecoach so this is just simply i'm using it as an example a hypothetical so the reality yeah the idea is drama is drama and action is action and so a a good second unit their job is action i you know larry obviously you're vember, you know Hong Kong and, and in Hong Kong, very often they literally have completely separate units, right? Like, you have yep. your director and your action director. You might have a movie directed by uh, Choi Hawk, but then the action director is going to be Ching Situng, and and they're literally separate units. Like, Ching Situng is making a different movie than Choi Hawk. Not different, it's supposed to line up, but Ching Satong's doing his own thing. And uh, this that's a very extreme version of what a second unit director does, but it's the same concept. The idea being the second unit director is there to, A, help cut time. Because if we needed our main director to shoot all of the action as well as all of the drama, we're doubling or tripling our shoot time. And everybody that knows, you know, the slightest bit about movies knows time is money. And, and the, the number one thing that, the number one currency in filmmaking is actually time. It's not money. People think it might be money, but it's actually time. The reason money matters is because money buys time. But the number one currency is actually time. So a way to create extra time is to have a second unit director shoot all the action. Now, when you're doing something highly, highly technical and highly specialized, like cap away in only the strong or rollerblading, which in 1993 was actually still relatively new as a sport, well, it kind of makes sense to have your second unit director be a guy who understands rollerblading and it makes sense to have your stunt coordinator and the stand-in for your lead actor be the leader of team rollerblade. And so, yeah, that's how you end up with Chris Edwards and uh, and Steve Boyum basically doing what we love about what i love about airborne uh that being said i i'm not shitting on rob bowman i actually think rob bowman is an underappreciated craftsman and a very very good that guy director he directed rain of fire for fuck's sake like rob <laughs> yeah, bowman did. rules
1: yeah yeah that's the, the really kind of interesting thing about this movie is there's lots of uh in front of and behind the scenes people that ended up having really long careers um like Obviously Steve, he did stunt work beforehand, but he's the directs TV shows did like the boys and uh black sales like stuff like he he's like constantly working Rob Bowman like he's a guy that you know he made theatrical and TV shows he was producer of x files and stuff like that it's 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 a bit, it's there are some movies that we look back at and we're like, nobody did anything but like one of the reasons why this movie works so well is they actually they had people on there yeah. that knew their craft very Rob well. Bowman directed the X-Files movie. He yeah. directed X-Files Fight the Future.
0: Like they, he he is They knew what they were doing. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. And that's always the thing for me when cuz as you know Larry, I I I have a tendency about maybe every 6 months to go off on Twitter about the brilliance that I think that is airborne. And, uh, and, and part of the reason I do is because of that. It, it, the craft, and this is what to me separates Airborne from the Rads and the Thrashins, movies I love, BMX Bandits, which is, you know, even a, a well-directed movie, but there is a craft to Airborne that it has no business having. There is a technical skill and a craft to Airborne that it it, it is absurd that it is this skillful uh, of a movie. I mean, it, it it's patently ridiculous that it is as skillful as it is.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of it, too, is they had like I, I mentioned, they had a lot of good people working in front of the camera as well, especially people that are very familiar now a lot of some before they were famous actors uh the big one obviously being jack black uh seth green's also in this uh jacob vargas who you'll see in lots of things is all in this movie and even like uh chris conrad who's jack for example he's not like a household name but that dude's done a ton of stuff like they had uh like good actors in it. I think the only yeah, one even that...
0: Brittany Powell who yeah. would go on to be in Fled, like like I mean, Alana Ubach who would go on to be in uh you know waiting and stuff. I mean Tons every every cast, every person cast except for Shay McDermott, every person in this movie went on to do bigger and better things.
1: Why why do you think Shay McDermott didn't quite work out? Because he I mean he's got good presence. Is it just it just didn't work out, or is, or is there something about him that wouldn't translate?
0: He actually peaced out. He actually kind of peaced out from acting and went and became a realtor in Arizona. Uh, it was just kind of one of those things. It's like, um, oh, what's her name? The, the girl that was in matinee and Independence Day, Lisa. But she just literally was just like, you know what? I've been in a couple of major movies and I kind of don't fucking like it. So I'm out. And and my, based on what little, believe it or not, I am actually a guy who has done research on Shane McDermott, which is weird, (laughs) but, uh, based on what I've been able to find, that was kind of it for him. He was just kind of like, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't for me. And, uh, you know, it is interesting because I think he's just charismatic as fuck in this movie. Uh And he's got that perfect 1993 floppy hair, which, you know, I mean, you, you couldn't you couldn't make that stuff up like that was that was pure genetic. Uh As somebody who tried to grow that haircut multiple times in his life, you you could not. I uh, bet uh,
1: I could I could see you trying it. <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, I got I actually found a picture the other day going through uh my mom's stuff of me with that floppy hair. I should I'll scan it and and send it to you, but it's I don't look like Shane McDermott, I'll tell you that much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh well, not many of us do. Uh you think about it. He was a good-looking guy. Um but I I I thought it was when I was watching it last night, uh one of the things I thought was kind of interesting though, him and Seth Green both kind of do this like Keanu Reeves impression that is kind of weird to me for some reason. Uh, But it also feels like it works for 1993 Ohio. You know what I mean? So it was just kind of a a weird uh, acting choice, I guess. Well, But, uh, but if,
0: but if you think about it, we're also talking about 1993. This is the height of saved by the bell. I mean, you've you've literally got Shane McDermott basically doing Zach Morris. And then you've got Seth Green basically doing a less dorky version of Screech, uh, you know, and, and Chris Conrad's basically Slater like like that. The, there was such a point and, and certainly Keanu Reeves was a focal point of that, of what Bill and Ted were certainly like focal points of what youth was supposed to act like in the early nineties. And, and, you know, then you also had Wayne's world in what 92 is when the first Wayne's world movie came out. So that means you had that. So it's all this sort of thing of, yeah, the cool kids, but then I love it. Because, like you said, it's especially with Seth Green, he's in Cincinnati. So, he's as somebody who grew up in Utah. I always used to joke, we were always like three to five years behind whatever was cool. Like, if something was cool in New York in 1992, it would be cool in Utah in 1997. And, and, and this the way seth green especially is playing his character is very much that right like he's he's so 8990 cool but he's in cincinnati so he's 2 years too late uh which is again a thing i'm probably giving the movie more credit than it deserves but i think that's what makes it in 2023 play so well is being able to look back and go yeah i mean that's we've all been that guy. Like if you grew up in Utah or you grew up in Indiana or Ohio or New Mexico or wherever, man, we've all fucking been Seth Green. You know, most of us have not been Mitchell. Most of us have not been Seth McDermott, the cool kid moving someplace. We've been Seth Green growing up with the mom who's like, Ooh, father! Come on, let's go. uh, Let's go. You know, make some make some cupcakes. And the dad who drives the fucking zamboni like that's most of us in Midwest America. And I think that's why that role
1: plays well. Uh, You you brought up the one thing I I I thought was really kind of funny was uh, his Seth Green's parents, Edie McClurg and Patrick Thomas O'Brien. They're really funny in this movie by just it feels like they're both just. Acting how you think of those characters in real life might be, and uh, it's, it's it's hard to describe. But there's one moment in the in the movie that I think is one of the funniest bits of acting I've, of, of comedic acting. When she wants to get the dad to leave the room because like the 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 kids come in, they they want to, and he's like, "Oh, I'm watching my show," and he just gets up and just stares at the rest of the TV to kind of finish the scene. But just the way he's standing, just all stiff and down, and then walks out. I don't know what it is about acting, but it's so good. The little bit of, like, "Eh, okay. Like, just the very subtle, "Eh, okay,
0: that he says before he goes. But, yeah, I mean, his entire upper body is motionless. Like, it's so good. It's so fucking funny. Like, I, I, literally, people listening to this, my current Twitter name is... I Frankenstein Stan account like no Frankenstein. Well, it's Yo Frankenstein <laughs> now because Diego told me, showed me the poster that in in Spanish it's Yo Frankenstein, and how could I not have it be that? But uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing I do. I stand weird, shitty movies that other people won't stand. This is one that I I don't stand. This fucking ironically, I I. I love this movie with every fiber of my being. And I will legitimately argue there are so many good moments in this, like you just said, you know, that scene, but that also then leads to all of the the guys coming in and, and the way Shane McDermott looks at them and then just goes guys before they all like celebrate and lift him up. And, you know, I mean, this movie is the, this is a thing I talk about a lot on A4E. If you've listened to the last episode, Larry, I know you know. You know, craft. Craft matters. That's why I love DTV. Like, there's a lot of shitty G- DTV. But then you get an Isaac Florentine or you get a John Hyams and you realize craft matters. Airborne is a movie made by people. It is made by talented people who understand the art of filmmaking. And yeah, it may be a silly movie about a high school kid with rollerblades, but the craft on display is so goddamn good that I just can't not fucking
1: love the movie. Yes, uh, that's what I was mentioning earlier. It's just because they had... It wasn't like a bunch of like amateurs that this is their first movie. Like these are people that have been doing it for a while. And even I take like Jack black, like he's still, he's not like a name yet. And he is trying everything he can to get the laughs out of his character while also just trying to be an actual person, which is kind of like a hard thing to do when you're trying to do a comedic performance without just being a total character. And I think that's uh shows the level of uh what are, what's the word i'm looking for that they were they bought into this Boys, movie they craft dedication they they yeah uh they weren't ha- half-assing it they were no the best no
0: they i mean you you know with that scene we were just talking about he's the one you know jack blocks the one that gets the like they're all celebrating and then he's the one that gets to like get all stone-faced and go shit man i I guess we were just wrong about you, you know? And like, I'm sorry, that shit chokes me up. Like, like, and and it's, it's helped because we know he's Jack black now, you know, like certainly that, that matters, but like, yeah, no, this is, this is not, I've watched a lot of teen comedies, Larry. I've watched so many teen comedies, so, so many bad ones. ones. And <laughs> There's a reason that I continue to defend and talk about this movie. This isn't just some random thing. I legit do think this is a movie that
1: it stands above its contemporaries. I think what's interesting too about the structure of this movie is you think it's one thing, but it's actually something completely different. Because like in a, a lesser movie, it would have just been... uh Shane, or uh, Goosen's character versus Jack's character, and then they have to do a thing at the end to compete, and then one has to win, and it would have been like, whatever. But like I like how this one is showing how you can overcome misunderstandings and not liking each other in order to have respect, in order to defeat the thing that's actually worth defeating. Which not every teen movie will go through that sort of effort, which I think is one thing that makes this movie stand out from some other teen movies.
0: Right. The entire thing is Mitchell is not a fighter, right? You know, he he just he I saw this kid, you know, and I was so pissed off. He was riding my wave, you know, and and. Like Mitchell's not a fighter. Mitchell's whole thing is everybody so like the idea because, you know, this is a weird movie structurally because we have two major antagonists. We have Jack, who is uh, Brittany Powell's brother, and then we have Blaine, who's the preppy douchebag. And I love that the movie does a very good job of making Blaine just such a giant piece of shit that there's absolutely no reason to even like think about him at all. But that's the whole point is, yeah, it's like Mitchell and Jack aren't that different and they're not there's no there's no reason for them to hate each other. And so, yeah, I mean, the, literally the, the end of this movie for, you know, spoilers is Mitchell holding his hand out to Jack and saying, we got a race to finish. That's not something you see in a ton of, not just teen movies. That's not something you see in a ton of movies, period. Uh, the idea that like, some people suck. The Blains of the world are always going to suck. But the Jacks and the Mitchells, maybe just need to like realize that what they don't like about each other is just a symptom of class warfare and that they can actually like get along and unite. I mean, no, I don't want to go on a whole like communist rant about the like class, you know, implications of airborne, but they're fucking, they're fucking there. Like they are there. The idea of, the people that have knots are pitted against one another uh, because like Seth Green's dad is a Zamboni driver and the, the punks, the, 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 you know, Jack's people, they still make fun of him. Meanwhile, Blaine and his people are going to the preppy school and they have all the fancy gear and all the fancy equipment. It's like, no, the reality is is if all the people getting shit on, could realize that the Blains of the world fucking suck and overthrow them, the world would be a much better place. And so then occasionally, well, yeah, what you need is you need a Mitchell to come in and be like, I don't, I don't understand these dividing lines that you've got. This is weird to me. Like, can we all just be cool? And it fucking works. Like I am so badly over like, Deep reading Airborne. But again, this is why I love this movie. This is why this movie matters so much to me, because I don't think a single fucking person making this movie thought they were making a class warfare, fucking Marxian dissertation on high school strata. But it's there. They didn't mean to do it, but they fucking did it cuz it's fucking there. The text says what I just said in this movie.
1: They they had to uh like like we said they had to end up working together in order to to win the race. Um we got to talk about the race real quick. Uh so basically in in Airborne they have this thing where there's this just just goes this hill but apparently it's through the entire town of Cincinnati and there's two teams. And in this case, it's going to be the, the prep kids versus, uh, basically uh the punks. school for
0: for yeah. yeah for lack of a better public term school, i always think of them as the preps versus the punks they're not really punk i mean none of them yeah. are punk and none of them I are mean,
1: slobs so it's not really snobs versus yeah slobs but, it, or but, but it's, it's a, a, yeah, yeah it's the same
0: yeah high class versus low class <laughs> class and, warfare again yeah
1: and uh you know in order to set this one up too i thought it was really funny that the pantsing blaine was just gonna be the thing where he thinks everything is the greatest this is the funniest thing ever like people are falling down laughing because he got the pants i was like this is uh not that funny but i guess in 93 that would have been hilarious but uh they uh well but again
0: (laughs) go for it sorry no yeah (laughs) damn it larry i'm sorry I'm, i'm just i'm i'm going too deep on this movie but the class consciousness aspect of it the preppy emperor has no clothes uh Blaine, the rich kid, the rich snobby kid can be pantsed just like the rest of us. He can be embarrassed in front of everybody, including his ex. Well, not really his ex-girlfriend because she never dated him, but in front of Brittany Powell, just like the rest of us. And so it is one of those things where it's like Blaine's taken down a notch because the, the preps no longer have this mystique. They're no longer this fancy rich kids because a Mitchell scores the game winning goal and then pants is Blaine. And it's like the rest of the public school kids, the punks realize, Oh, these, we shouldn't be intimidated. We shouldn't be threatened by these guys because I mean, Mitchell just made them all look stupid. like, not an insignificant theme in a dumb teen comedy from 1993
1: yeah you're making a great case for for this stuff and i think a lot of movies do that without realizing it uh because like there are certain i guess plot tropes that kind of lend their hand to looking a little bit deeper underneath the surface of what what it's actually going on while still entertaining you and thinking, ah, this is just a fun teen movie, but that that's probably what makes this movie memorable, more memorable now than before. Just all these different cool reads uh, that I have. So this race at the end, what is the, what is the, what is, what is going on under the surface of this race in your, in your opinion? Well, for me, it, the
0: idea is it it lays bare everybody's uh foibles right you get you get seth green coming up you get wiley coming up and he's completely first of all the race is called the devil's backbone which is unassailingly fucking cool and based on a couple of things people have said to me is apparently a real like not necessarily a rollerblade race but like a real part of cincinnati um but uh the devil's backbone like you can't fucking beat that man like that's awesome but you get wiley coming up who's in no way shape or form competent to try and do this but He's wily. He's a good guy. He's going to try and help Mitchell out. You know, he's he's going to do it. And then you also get one of my favorite parts of this entire movie is that uh, Blaine's right hand man. And I'm drawing a blank on his name is played by Chris Edwards, leader of Team Rollerblade. Mitchell's stunt double anything rollerblading cool you see in this movie is Chris Edwards. And he's such a fucking doofus in this movie and so what you get is you get this like the mask coming down right the the money gear none of that matters on the devil's backbone all that matters on the devil's backbone is skill are you in fact able to ride this mountain ride this race and that's so. I think that's the thing that's really underlying this. Is again going back to this. My whole theory about the sort of class consciousness, class class warfare of this is Mitchell and Jack and and uh, Jacob Vargas, Snake. Uh, I love that Jacob Vargas's character is Snake. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's a great um, name. That they are the preps can't keep up with them because they're legitimately the best skaters of the group. And I I love, especially, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but the end, you know, Mitchell gets lost because it's such a convoluted thing. And then we get Mitchell having to do something that nobody else in the race would do, which is launch and land on the fucking tow truck. And the idea being, again, when you have something like I don't necessarily like this saying not being a religious person, but one of my favorite sayings still is there's no atheists in a foxhole. There's no class consciousness on the devil's backbone. All there is, is skill. All there is, is how you fucking skate. And uh, as long as you can skate, you'll win. And, And that's, that's what I think again, it hits so hard at the end of this movie is is the way in which it's you're watching all these kids like literally dodge through traffic and, and i mean the stunts and the stunt work in this is just it's horrifying. It's I saw on your Twitter, somebody responded to you and said it turns into a Jackie Chan movie out of nowhere. And they're not fucking wrong.
1: They're not like, far off, no. <laughs> he, you like, can see Jackie doing some of this stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, if you've seen uh, whatever his fucking third Armor of God movie, oh, was. that Zodiac one Zodiac. Yeah. The whole opening of that is essentially the end of Airborne. Uh, and so yeah you can absolutely see jackie doing all this stuff but a, again i think there's thematically
1: interesting stuff going on behind it it's also a metaphor for this movie being a bunch of people who have skill making this movie that in theory probably shouldn't work and elevate into something that's very very good and very watchable you know what i mean so like there's a lot of little little things that that kind of show you the 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 race is more about not just about the characters but also just everything they've kind of gone through and i kind of wonder if they when they filmed that part in relation to the whole filming of the the movie i'm you know i wonder if that was one of the last things they did and uh just sort of like had that whole character development going into how they they filmed some of that stuff I, i kind of wonder it's hard to
0: know, you know, because again, I just, I can't imagine they were thinking they were making anything other than a dumb teen comedy. But on the flip side, I've watched a lot of dumb teen comedies. They ain't airborne. So it is one of those things where it's kind of like, did they know? Did they want to do something different? You know, there's a scene this scene is burned in my brain. There's a a shot during the Devil's Backbone race where a guy is trying to push Mitchell off the road and Mitchell puts his left leg out against the the guardrail uh and and uses the the you know his his wheels to hold him steady and Bowman shoots it from behind so we're literally seeing mitchell's leg lift up and hit this this is craft that teen dumb teen movies don't display like this is john woo james cameron that sounds excessive but this is this is crafts people thinking about this movie so yeah i've never talked to rob bowman i've never talked to you know, I, I would love nothing more to than, than to get Shane McDermott on action for everyone and talk to him about this movie. Um, but uh, I've never talked to anybody that's made this movie. But I just it, if they didn't think they were trying to make a good movie and what we got was this movie, that's a goddamn miracle. Uh, and if they did think they were trying to make a good movie, and what we got was this movie, then
1: kudos to them because they succeeded. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's... they they sure did. I, also, I was just thinking too. Um, I, I I posted how this movie's stunts did not need to go this hard. And I think one of the things that makes this movie kind of cool is they got they they have the people who know how to do this rollerblade stuff. They're really good at it. And they were like, we're going to show it off because obviously rollerblading is still pretty new at this point. Extreme sports is starting on to come up. And, and
0: admittedly, the movie is co-produced by
1: Rollerblade. I mean, the, the, this
0: is, like, I'll fully admit this is partially an ad for <laughs> Rollerblade. That's fine. I get okay.
1: that. I mean, we have Barbie coming out. We're we're well past that whole hearing about that stuff now, apparently. Uh, but uh, just to... I mean they they're like Rob was probably like okay we got these guys we gotta show them off we're not gonna half ass these stunts and some of the stuff they do is like I'm surprised nobody died. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like people are like flying everywhere and stuff, and there's some great car stunts because they're like flying through and the cars like you I I feel like they don't even put that much care into movies now because you know they can do things in cgi or whatever they need to do but like here they had to work on making sure they run anyone over yeah it's amazing there's a scene where uh
0: again i can't remember chris edwards character's name and uh wiley seth green you know they go off the road and they go down this fucking hill and it's like that's chris edwards and his buddy It's definitely not Seth Green, like going down that hill or when uh, when Augie, when Jack Black's character goes off and he rolls down and then like nuts himself on that tree. Like this is a stunt person rolling down and then nutting themselves, you know, obviously safely because that's what stunt people do on a tree. Like the whole look, if people haven't seen it, the first 80% of airborne you want to chuck it out i don't fine great just watch the devil's backbone race man i'm sorry don't come at the guy who runs action for everyone and uh and uh say i don't like airborne if you have not watched the last 20 minutes of that movie because the last 20 minutes of that movie is some of the most insane Dedicated stunt work that I think we've ever seen. We flip shit. I love Tom Cruise. Anybody that listened to the newest episode at the time we're recording knows I love Tom Cruise. I love Mission Impossible. We flip shit for Tom Cruise. Can we flip shit for Jack Black stunt double nutting himself on a tree?
1: <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's uh jumping onto stairways and like going above stairways and stuff i mean this stuff you see people do that now and people like hurt themselves like trying to do all that stuff and they're doing it in movies and stuff and it's uh it's probably one of i would argue it's one of the best action scenes i'll just say of the 90s if you want to just do a qualifier there if you want uh but it's it still works now. Like, I was amazed last night watching it. The The only thing I kind of wish, and I wonder if they would go back, if they would have done that whole sequence with just the sound effects of the rollerblades and the stuff around them and forgot the weird sound effects and score they would randomly do. Because that kind of, like, felt very... I didn't like that part as much. I kind of want to I, see what it play, how it plays without. I that. I, I can't disagree with you on that. That
0: there's there's some weird like sound makes choices made in that last race that it was
1: like woo, like yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was just because they're like, well, nobody's going to be able to sit there and pay attention when it's just like the, the noise. But if they made that today, they would have no music. I bet.
0: And I think that's one of the things again is because. Now in 2023, we don't see somebody throwing themselves off, you know, rollerblading off the side of a mountain, and so I, uh, I think they didn't, you know, they were inherently insecure about showing off the stunts too much, whereas now somebody making that, you know, you look at something like what Alpha Stunts does and Johnny Young Bosch does, like I. I, I think there's music in Broken Path. Maybe. I don't know. I,
1: I, I, I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, I feel I like w-
0: what I remember is the sound of breaking bones yeah. and gushing blood, right? You know, so <laughs> yeah. it's like if those same people were making Airborne 10, 15 years later, they probably wouldn't make those choices. But I agree with you. I, I, I think there's the only musical cue that hits for me. In that entire Devil's Backbone race, is when Mitchell hits the tow truck and you get the the guitar that goes na 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 na. You know, because again, that's a pop. Like that's you're popping because like it's Mitchell making this jump that nobody else could. But the rest of it, I would have loved like no soundtrack whatsoever, other than the sounds of their skates and other than the sounds of you know people hitting trees uh for
1: that entire race so yeah completely agree now speaking of music we can't go without talking about the scene featuring the 90s that could only be in the 90s mind you song i'm too sexy by right uh, right said fred the scene where we actually have the male version. Of the trying on clothes montage, not very many of, any of those. Of no, and
0: and you got God loves Seth Green for committing so hard to that. Like he commits so hard to that scene. It's ridiculous. He does not mess around in that scene. Um, I love I love that it's dated as hell, but I love that scene. I think I find it, you know. They did that exact same scene later, decade years later, in the new guy with uh Eliza Dushku basically, which though not get me was awesome because Elijah Dushku, but not nearly as funny as fucking Seth Green doing it in 19. 19- There's one where he's got the he's got the pigtails and the the and, and then he starts doing this, like, he, like, jumps and, like, bounces his head. It's it's delightful. It's just absolutely wonderful. It's
1: it's kind of like him doing his, um like, Adult Swim stuff. Just being all, like, goofy and non-sequiturs and stuff like that. You can kind of see his humor Yeah, he has in there. It's
0: definitely the birth of Seth Green, right? Yeah. Like, it's definitely, like... Uh, but the other, so I actually thought about this earlier today. And I'm like, I have to tell this story. So. As with all teen movies our our hero, Mitchell Goose, and he hits the, the bottom because he, he tells Jack, nobody's worth a bra. Nobody. And Brittany Powell's character, Nikki, Gets pissed because she hears that, and he has this soul searching thing, and we get this song by this group called Diesel, tip of my tongue to a Mona. Make my true confession. I searched high and low to find that goddamn CD that had that song. And yes, the lead singer of that band's name is Johnny Diesel. And no that's why he called it Diesel. And every song they made is terrible, except Tip of My Tongue, which I still think is a staggeringly great song. And that's a tremendous like bring our hero down to the low point. But I I probably actually still own that Diesel album somewhere. Is there um, not an airborne soundtrack? There's there was not. I, I I assure you if there was you I would have, have it, bought yeah. it but yeah uh, uh,
1: I saw a VHS trailer it was like uh for like the the video stores and they're they've all these facts and they're like it's music by like right said Fred and like all these different bands yeah it I was what would have been one it was one of those things where it was kind of like I think there would have
0: been if the movie had actually been more successful but I think the problem was is uh, it just, it didn't take off the way they wanted it to. You know, it was pretty clear. Warner Brothers thought this was going to be a hit. Um, And it, it wasn't, it wasn't until it, you know, well, I guess apparently hit the Disney channel. Yeah, you yeah know? I, mean, there's,
1: there's, I mean, there's lots of movies that did not do well in, the, in theaters that found an audience on uh, on TV and online and stuff like that. And this is, just one prime example. Cause I don't even remember this even being in theaters or anything. I just remember it just it was on TV and I watched it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, what's
0: so funny is the first memory I have of this movie is making fun of the poster because it has like 17 taglines, right? Like it, it has heroes aren't made their airborne. And it like, it's, it's it's like an explosion of taglines. It's too many, And I remember making fun of it well before I saw the movie. And then obviously this had this been the social media era, I would have had to have eaten crow, but uh, I didn't have to because I saw the movie. It was like, but this is, this is what's, you know, speaking of like the soundtrack, this is how I found the diesel album is because I, I used to work in the mall at this time, 1993, I'm working at the mall and again youngins we didn't have no internet in 1993 if you needed to find a song what you did is you walked to sam goody in the mall and they had this catalog that looked like the fucking bible that indiana jones brings out in Raiders of the lost ark that's just like a thousand pages And you flipped through it and you found the title of the song and then you could find who sang it and then you hoped Sam Goody had that album in stock Uh, and they did not but then my local used CD store had that album in stock but like it was a different world. Larry I know you remember this world but People yeah. listening, saying, it was a different
1: world. Well, I, I, I I wonder, I, I would be it's interesting to see some of our younger uh, friends, like, I want to see, get a time machine, have them go back in time, go into a video store to see the look on their face. Because they'd be like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Because sometimes they just don't, they didn't have that experience we had, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> you know what I would love is for them to go back in time to a video store and look at all the box art and wow. be like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then realize they couldn't rent the first 25 movies that they wanted to rent because they were all out of stock. <laughs> like yeah. that, that is anytime somebody's like, oh, I miss video store days. Look, I get it. I used to work at a video store. Like, yeah, I get it. But like, also, I remember my birthday. It actually, Maybe it was 1993. When did Tombstone come out? Do you remember? Uh, it was probably 93. It sounds right. I, that sounds right. My birthday, 93. I drove to like seven different video stores because all I wanted to do for my birthday was watch Tombstone with my parents. And couldn't fucking find <laughs> a copy of Tombstone. We did finally get one. But we had to drive to seven goddamn video stores to get a copy of fucking tombstone.
1: I remember when I worked at the video store, I'd have to go in a little box. It was a blockbuster, so it wasn't that cool. But they had the box you drop your tape in, and I'd have to go like every like 10 minutes, like, oh, let me see if somebody returned the copy. Oh, I worked at the Ugh. video
0: store. I worked I at with Blockbuster that. too, but I didn't I work at fucking Scarecrow Crow video. I didn't work it. Yeah. That story no it was blockbuster yeah it was (laughs) i i remember somebody literally like yeah did you get totally unrelated to airport but the 1201 people the people who wanted to rent a movie at 1201 you got those you you yeah
1: like they
0: were the worst
1: like the the. When we're trying to close, kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. The the come in at eleven fifty seven. Yeah.
1: And yeah. 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 My okay. So my least favorite thing, and uh, I got really good at telling people this because I remember there were lines out the back, and I worked at at the time the largest blockbuster in the United States was in Deerfield, Illinois. It had a had a uh, a playground for kids in there. That's how big it was. And there'd be, like, these huge lines, and I would hate it. They'd come up to the line, and they'd be like, get in their Blockbuster card out. I'm like, you had 10 minutes. Get your." I would always yell at them, get your card out before you get to the front so we can get through this line faster. That, that always drove me nuts. I so it. my favorite <laughs> manager that I had when I worked at Blockbuster,
0: <laughs> she would come out at 12.05, and she would, like, yell in the middle of the story and she would say i'm so sorry corporate shuts our computers down in five minutes so if you want to rent a movie you need to do it in the next five minutes emily Uh, that's her name emily I, I literally carry that this is it's been 30 years since I worked with you and I still carry that because that is such a brilliant way of getting people the fuck out of your store.
1: Yeah, if anybody's working in retail, listen to the show, like use that. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Because because who can argue with corporate? Yeah, right. Like, because we all know corporate sucks. So if corporate's like, yeah, we're just going to shut down the system at
1: 1205,
0: you can't argue with that. Corporate does shit like that all the time. Yeah.
1: So, but, but before we uh, wrap wrap things up, I do yeah, have to ask. Sorry. Do, you, do Larry, you know? sorry. Larry,
0: sorry. I have taken this in your no, no. direction.
1: I but. honestly, I I can, you know, I just did a, an episode with Lindsay at Schlock and all. It was like almost three hours. I don't mind talking about stuff that's fun, Um, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. But uh, do you remember your blockbuster number?
0: Oh, I fucking don't. I don't. I do. Oh, god damn it. I wish I did. I hadn't even thought about my blockbuster number. I'd totally forgotten that.
1: <laughs> so, oh my god. I actually know it's funny, is uh it would start as a two, but two is only because that would be the employee thing you'd start with. But my actual number is 17265 44826
0: Oh, so, my God.
1: <laughs> I, I wish I remembered
0: that. I would be so happy if I remembered <laughs> that. Like, I remember that I had to get a hair follicle test and they, they cut my hair and I had, like, yes. spiky hair for a minute. I remember that. Um, I remember one of my favorite stories is, because you know, you are never supposed to eat on the floor and I was eating some fucking cup of noodles and our district manager came in literally as i had a mouthful of noodles and was like and threw it under the counter i don't remember my number oh my god i wish i did (laughs) that's amazing that you remember that
1: I can't remember what happened yesterday, but that's stupid numbers.
0: It's yeah, no, useless, but it's I stuck have, in my head forever. I have so many more blockbuster memories than I have memories from the last 10 years. Like like literally I honestly probably have more detailed memories of working at Blockbuster than I have from my own fucking wedding. Like 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 Blockbuster was such a formative part of and what's so funny is I I had this friend I got the job at Blockbuster because I remember I went this was my neighborhood Blockbuster and there was this I rented Dead Alive. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. And there was the dude that checked me out was like Sorry man, I mean it's edited, but it's ugh. It's fine and uh his name was justin and he actually ended up becoming a very good friend because i ended up getting the job at blockbuster literally to work with justin because he was one of the few people there that would actually like recommend movies to people but like yeah what
1: (laughs) my uh i i will say I, i i will apologize to the world uh, one of the reasons why the Boondock Saints was so successful is because I would recommend that to everybody, like everybody. And every, almost everybody, like, loved it because
0: Burning in Hell. Burn <laughs> so in that's, hell. It's
1: that's my fault. That's my you know fault. what?
0: You know what? You recommended to everybody, Boondock Saints. You know what I recommended to everybody? Hard-boiled. Which one of us is Woo Vember, Larry? <laughs> Which one? Of
1: us? You know what? If we had a copy of Hardboiled at the time, I would have, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, the, this is one thing because my manager, well, because Justin, the guy I was just talking about, and my manager were very cool. We actually stocked several copies of The Killer and Hardboiled, both for rent and purchase. The Fox Lorber versions which are not the ideal versions but nonetheless if it's uh oh, I saw them. <laughs> if it's 1995 and you're trying to sell people on hard-boiled
1: fox Lorber's the way to go yeah yeah oh man well i guess we could probably just swap blockbuster stories to the end of time but yeah i don't want to i don't want to bore people too much no yeah I agree. but uh it's there's the people very who are niche. listening though that have the same experiences that are probably laughing right now and i i appreciate you guys uh so anything left that you want to add to the airborne discussion anything about like the the undercurrent undercurrent of the city of cincinnati at the time and how it related to the plot or something i don't know anything. no no it's literally
0: <laughs> honestly it's just um whenever i randomly answer weird twitter prompts about what's the movie you've watched the most i just want to reiterate Like it's probably going to be airborne because I watched it every day for two and a half months. Um, And it's that kind of movie because it never gets old. Like it just doesn't it. uh, But I don't have anything else to add. And I feel like I've quite frankly gone obnoxiously
1: intellectual about how deep I'm going on airborne. Well, I I once asked you if you've ever talked about Airborne on a podcast, and I think you said no, or at least not this extensive. So hopefully you got some of this out of your system.
0: No, I said no. And oh, my God, I would love to. That's (laughs) literally what I said is no. And oh, my God, I would love to. Like I've been podcasting for almost five years now, and I've been waiting for the day to have this conversation about Airborne. So, Larry, God <laughs> love you for giving me the chance.
1: I, I'm I'm honored. I'm honored. So for those who don't know, just briefly let people know where they can find you because I always forget to ask my guests. So let's just... Uh... Uh,
0: yeah, I am not going to... Uh, where you can find me, who knows? But actually for <laughs> everyone, you can find on twitter until it burns up a40 podcast you can find it on blue sky at a40 podcast you can find other social media links by going to linktree at a40 podcast and you can find us anywhere podcasts can be found so don't worry about finding me, but find the show. The show's good. And uh, find Vice, uh, at Vice Fictus, anywhere you go, because Vice is brilliant. I'm a moron, but he's brilliant. So find Vice Fictus, at Vice. Fictus. I concur. I concur. All
1: right. So, Mike, I really appreciate you talking can, about Airborne. I'm a
0: moron, or you concur that Vice is brilliant?
1: <laughs> Vice is brilliant. You're you're also a, a very smart guy, too.
0: No, i I. I'm I'm comfortable saying I'm a moron. I know.
1: Um, Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. This has been uh, Mike Scott and myself talking to Airborne. So you all have a good night. Thank you.